Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will pick up the text with Genesis 3, verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. All right, as we continue moving through this section here, uh, we notice in light of sin and the pronouncement of the curse first that faith was demonstrated. That was in the preceding verse, in verse 20. And that is seen in how Adam named his wife, which, by the way, is actual evidence that they believed in the promises of God. If God said that they were to fulfill the earth, uh, one of the ways that we demonstrate faith in God is by doing what he tells us to do. And in naming Eve, Eve, as in the mother of all living, Hava, uh, then we we see that he had faith that that God would honor that promise. But so there's, there's faith demonstrated there. And now as we get into verse 21, we see secondly, there is a supernatural covering. So we focus in on this and we see the Lord God made for Adam and as for his wife, garments of skin and clothed them. There's really, you know, a couple different applications here. There's both a physical application and a spiritual application. And there's some very practical things that we need to take away from this. Uh, number one, one of the things that we see here is that the Lord God did this. And we really have no other conclusion but uh, to understand that obviously these animals had to be killed to provide an adequate covering for Adam and Eve. And you can't make the argument that, you know, some people somehow think it might be better if the animals that were killed were little babies like lambs or something like that. And yet, if the Lord God made everything with a quick acceleration uh, towards uh, towards uh, maturity or made them with the appearance of age, not just the appearance, but actually aged, then we really would think that, you know, the trees that are already bearing fruit, the animals that are there are not just baby animals barely able, you know, to do anything, but that they're fully grown. And so we have to arrive at the conclusion that God must have killed the animals. And it's interesting to hypothesize on that a little bit more because as uh, Jonathan Sarfati points out here, he says, God may well have killed the animals in front of Adam and Eve. Now, why would he do that? So that they saw for the first time what physical death meant. That would have been shocking and jarring to the system, but it's going to be a picture of the things that are to come. So really what this shows then is as he's covering up their physical nakedness, there is a spiritual covering that's required. The physical nakedness is absolutely intrinsically, inherently tied with the sin. So whatever you say here, the covering has to be both physical and spiritual. It has to deal with sin, and therefore they are learning the lesson right now that we get in Hebrews 9.22, which is, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Adam and Eve would have 
really understood this and taken this to heart as they see an animal killed in front of them, its life drained out of them, and then have the skins of that animal formed into something so that they can be covered, it would make a very, very vivid picture. Now, there's another commentator on the book of Genesis, uh, Fruchtenbaum, uh, his, his commentary is widely consulted. He says with regard to this, it's very interesting, I want to read you this paragraph. He says, physically, God clothed their nakedness, but spiritually, he also covered their sin by making for them their first atonement. And then he goes on, the lessons to be drawn from this verse are as follows, and there are five of them. First, to approach God, one must have a proper covering. Interesting. Notice that they can't come to him now without the proper covering. So we have to do that. Second, the man-made covering was not acceptable. Note the fig leaves in the uh, transition to this. So man's attempt doesn't work. Third, God himself must provide the covering. It's only going to work if God is the one who provides the covering and the solution. Fourth, the proper covering required the shedding of blood, which we already saw. Fifth, God's grace provided for them, for the covering was given before the actual expulsion from Eden. Seems like Eden was a great place to be, and we'll see here in a moment why they couldn't remain in Eden, but now they're going to leave the garden and they're going to be welcomed to a harsh earth that is not as forgiving from which the soil they will have to labor and toil to make a living and to get food so that they can eat. So very, very powerful lessons there. Now, while we're on the topic of atonement, we say that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. What is atonement? Well, the word for uh, this means cover. So all they could do was cover their sins, and and an animal sacrifice can just cover. You say, well, isn't that what they need? No, they don't just need a covering. They actually need to have their sins taken away. And we learn this lesson also from the book of Hebrews, just as we read that uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins in Hebrews 9.22. Hebrews 10 verse 4 says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. What we need is our sin to be taken away. And so this sacrifice doesn't actually take away sin. It merely covers it. But covering is the first step that is a very vivid lesson to teach us just what does ultimately need to take place And it's a constant reminder to us. So sin, we know, can only be taken away by one perfect sacrifice. That's the sacrifice of Christ, his perfect sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 10 verse 12 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So that's incredible. Now, as to the idea of clothing, now we've talked about the theological implications, let's address this whole idea of clothing. From this point forward, from their awakening uh, to their nakedness and their sin, even starting with the fig leaves and now moving on to the animal skin coverings that God has made for them, all human beings in public are to be clothed as a covering. 
Now, the covering, as we've just pointed out, has rich symbolic and not just symbolic, but theological implications. And you can argue and say, well, yes, there are nudist colonies and there are these type of places and there are people who are not modest. And yes, all all examples of the fall and the effects of the fall. But ever since then, humans have clothed themselves. There is a sense of modesty and a sense of immodesty and shame that comes with that. That is not just learned from society. That is a direct theological implication. When you see people walking around with clothing on, that is a testimony to the reality of sin in this world. And it's really quite powerful. Uh, We don't see, by the way, the animals clothing themselves, maybe on rare occasions. And again, the exception always proves the rule. But the fact is, is, is this is just primarily for humans. Now, there's no mandate, biblically speaking, that all clothing has to be made from animal skins. We don't all have to walk around wearing leather. And so, you know, because of that, there's nothing that would prohibit us from making clothes from plant fibers like cotton or something else like that. And so it's good for us to remember those things. Now, what else does clothing do practically? Well, it makes us modest. It covers up, you know, our bodies and the parts of our bodies that should be covered now because of the exposure to sin. And this is not necessarily just bound up in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we read in particular that women are commanded to dress modestly. We can find this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 to 10, and 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 4. But the teachings of modesty also apply to men. So we get into this, and you know, from a practical standpoint, women should show consideration not to entice men to lust. That's true. But we already know that the Bible doesn't blame women for their ability to entice men. Men are visual creatures. We've got lots of studies that, that show that, and they have to uh, rein in those passions, but women shouldn't give them something even extra either. It, it, and I'm not going to go on either side. I mean, a man is completely responsible for his actions. He has a duty before God and culture to control those passions and lusts so that even if a woman was walking around stark naked and not clothed at all, one stitch of clothing, that doesn't justify any sinful action that the man would take. It doesn't. He is completely guilty of that. So how are we supposed to think about this? Okay. The main reason for modesty, uh, right? And by the way, Uh, Jesus addresses this in men, and he says, listen, men, if you have lusted after a woman in your heart, right? We're not even talking about physical adultery here. If you have lusted after a woman in your heart and you've thought things about her uh, that are dishonoring to her, then you are already guilty of the sin of adultery in your heart. So he's laying the blame at the man already. Both parties have a responsibility in this, but why... Why is modesty important? Well, there is uh, another commentator uh, by the name of Cosner, and he talks to uh, he he talks to this issue here. And the main reason for modesty 
is not negative, it's actually positive. He says, the reason for modesty is the woman's standing before God in Christ. Women who declare belief in Christ should dress modestly and simply so that their good works are what people notice. Women should dress modestly to highlight the state of their spirit, which is what God considers precious. And, and that's what we're supposed to be thinking on, not saying, well, what about this and what about this? And men just can't control themselves and their animals and all this other stuff. And yeah, maybe some of that's true. The point of modesty is to take away from trying to highlight and showcase your body to the public whether you say it's not for men, but it's just for other people to just notice how stylish and beautiful I am. No, what you want people to notice about you is your Christ-likeness. What you want people to notice about you is Christ himself, if at all possible. Uh, Cosner goes on, he says, this way of viewing modesty leads to a positive view of women, particularly because the command assumes that women have something better to show than external beauty, and they do. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian woman, you have something better to show than your physical outward beauty. You have Christ to showcase to the world. Uh, and so we have to understand that. And I think he's right in this as he closes this up. He says, if you have this view of modesty, which now prevent, or presents modesty in a positive light, not a negative light, and you have a theological basis for this, then this is an effective answer against, uh, against the Christian legalism that dictates hem lengths without addressing the condition of the heart. And so it's, it's a fine line to tread, but we see it right here baked into this in the moments after the fall. I think we'll have to end there. I really was hoping to get to more verses, but it's a good discussion to have on the origin, really, of clothing, the theological implications behind it, the, the, the theological implication of sin, understanding that covering is different than taking it away, but covering also shows a promise for the future when it will be taken away. We have to cover it up, and we learn those incredibly important lessons that man's attempt to cover his sin is woefully short. It will always be infinitely short. God is the only one who can provide it, so he has to provide it, and we must accept his gift. And of course, the way we do that is by faith. Well, we'll leave it there, and we'll come back and talk about this divine counsel here in verse 23, uh, as well as the expulsion from the garden and the things that it demonstrates of God's character, because there's a surprising lesson here as we come back into our next episode Namely, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a good and gracious thing that God did. But that'll wait until next time. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.